The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and as I like to remind you every week, I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. And my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is in partnership with Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? With regard to Chen's newsletter, at the end of this month, Chen will no longer be accepting new subscriptions. Uh, starting November 1st, if you wish to subscribe to Chen Lin, you will need to call my assistant, Claudio Bossi, to be put on a waiting list, and Chen will be limiting the number of subscribers he accepts at that time. When there is an opening, those on the list will have uh, their subscriptions accepted uh, in the order that they signed up. The new uh, policy for Chen will begin, as I mentioned, on November 1st, so you can still sign up for Chen's letter now, although low-cost new trial subscriptions are no longer available. You can, however, sign up for my newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, and uh, there there is a three-month trial subscription, a lower-cost trial subscription. You can try my letter to see if it is something you think you can benefit from. You can sign up uh, for my letter. Again, the best way is to uh, go to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com, uh, or call Claudio Bossi at 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426, and you can also use those two methods to sign up for Chen's letter through the end of this month. Uh, I should also like to remind you that the best website to go to to access this radio show and other things that I do, including my newsletter, uh, is jtaylormedia.com. You can also follow uh, me and my ideas at uh, on Twitter under the handle jtaylormedia. J. Taylor Media. I want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. And of course, we want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Our sponsors for this new season uh, that starts today, the, uh, the fall season, uh, our sponsors are Airway Energy, Aravista Gold, Brazil Resources, Eurasian Minerals, Millrock Resources, Riverside Resources, and Northern Free Gold. I do want to spend more time, as I mentioned, I think, last week. I, I want to spend more time on this show talking about ways to make money and some investment ideas. And we did have, uh, last week we had Brent Cook on the show, a, a very highly esteemed, uh, very uh, adic- very uh, able, uh, not only a geologist, exploration geologist, but an investment advisor as well. Brent Cook uh, writes an excellent newsletter. It's not inexpensive, but it is very high-quality work that he does. We're proud to have Brent on the show. Next week, I expect to have Mickey Falp on the show. He's another uh, geologist uh, that that uses his geological skills to help pick uh, winning stocks. With respect uh, to our sponsors, I would like to just uh, talk very briefly about them. Uh, Airway Energy, who is coming back as a sponsor, is an up-and-coming oil and gas producing company. It's growing very nicely internally with internal cash flows and uh, expanding its oil and gas production um, in Alberta. And um, their 
uh, it is really about 90% of its production is in oil, about 10% in gas. It's been shutting in its gas. It will sell that natural gas out when the markets improve. But this is a company that is uh, really quite uh, quite inexpensive, uh, very low market cap. Uh, I'll be talking more about Airway uh, and all of our sponsors in the second half of today's uh, show. Uh, Aura Vista Gold uh, is another company that uh, I really like a lot. It's uh, it's a company that's trading. Um, Aura Vista is currently selling at around 23 cents. I should have mentioned that Airway is at 52 cents market cap of 28 million. Aura Vista is at 23 cents. They have something like two two and three quarter million ounce inferred gold resources in Quebec. Uh, with a $13 million market cap, it seems very attractive, although uh, we do want to take a closer look at this company. They will be coming on to talk uh, to our uh, to to you sometime in the f- near future as a sponsor. Uh, Aravista is a company that I have recommended in my newsletter, as is Airway, uh, as is Brazil Resources, which is coming on as well. Uh, Brazil uh, as a sponsor, once again, Amir Adnani, one of the uh, up-and-coming new CEOs of, uh, in the resource sector uh, is known for uh, his uranium company that uh, he's talked about on this show before. But Brazil Resources uh, is up, I see today, $0.20 cents to $1.20, uh, 41.3 million shares outstanding, market cap around $50 million. They recently uh, made their second property acquisition. And uh, uh, Amir, if he does as well with this company as he has with his with his uranium company, I think uh, investors are going to be very pleased. But we will most certainly have Amir on the show again in the near future. Uh, Eurasian Minerals, which is I have called my uh, my top pick among um, well among uh, among companies that are in the project generator uh, area of this business, uh, for reasons we've talked about, we've had them on the show in the past, selling at two dollars and forty three cents today, one hundred and seventy three. Um, $173 million market cap, but some very impressive numbers coming out of one of their projects in Turkey, uh, um, a company that is cash-rich with cash flow coming into it. Brent Cook, in fact, mentioned it last week as one of his favorites as well, uh, Eurasian Minerals, uh, a sponsor for our show. We've got two more uh, project generators that are joining us this season as well. Millrock Resources is coming back, and uh, they have some very attractive Gold targets in Alaska and some very attractive copper targets in uh, in Arizona, and uh, they have major mining companies that are coming on to spend money to earn into those projects. Uh, Millrock uh, selling at uh, 31 cents today, uh, 70 million shares gives it a market cap around 22 million dollars. Project generator company that is really capable of. Um, of uh, uh, reducing shareholder dilution, which I think is the biggest risk that you face in investing in the uh, in the mining sector and the exploration sector, uh, especially uh, Riverside Resources. We're really happy to have them back as a sponsor as well. Uh, Millrock and Riverside also uh, recommendations in my newsletter. I failed to mention that so is uh, Eurasian Minerals. Um, Millrock, uh, 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 or I should say Riverside, selling at 74 cents earlier today, 35.3 million shares outstanding, market cap of 26 million. Uh, Dr. John Mark Stoudy heads up this company, very disciplined project generator uh, model that he's running. The company sometimes even earns a profit while they're exploring and using other people's money, but they also have major companies that are looking to uh, to earn in to major projects that Riverside has, um, uh, Antofagasta in British Columbia, Copper Target, and they've got uh, Cliffs, uh, Cliffs Resources, the major um, Cleveland Cliffs company of, of the past, uh, working on some major uh, targets, uh, copper, gold, and iron targets in um, uh, in Mexico. And uh, Ken Ross is another uh, related company. These are companies that are spending big bucks to earn in. And then we're also pleased to have joining us this uh, this uh, this season. Northern Freegold is coming in. Uh, they are a company that has a very good project, um, a very interesting project, uh, with some uh, nearly three million uh, gold equivalent ounces uh, in the Yukon. Uh, and yeah, you might say it's fairly low grade, but they have a lot of ounces and they have a lot of infrastructure uh, positives that are not all that common in uh, in the Yukon. So that's another company that we think 
Uh, also a recommendation in my newsletter, market cap of only $19 million with nearly 3 million ounces of gold. Um, of course, yet to be determined the economic viability, but they will be uh, talking to us. We'll have them on the show in the near future. Again, Northern Freegold, uh, a pick of mine in my newsletter as well. Well, let's get on to today's show. We are going to be talking uh, in just a few minutes. Uh, we're going to be talking to another company. Actually, it was my top pick of the year. Uh, we're going to be talking um, to Sandstorm, uh, the CFO from Sandstorm uh, Gold. Uh, and, uh, the, well, that's a company, I think, that has extraordinary upside potential. It's certainly done extremely well so far. Uh, the big question on my mind, and I'm sure on the minds of many of you who maybe didn't buy these shares uh, of Sandstorm, is you know how much further uh, does this company have to run? What are its growth prospects? Well, we will be uh, we'll, we'll be talking to the company's CFO in just a few minutes uh, concerning that. Now, one of the biggest issues that we uh, investors have to face, I think, one of the biggest questions that we have to think about all the time uh, when we're investing in this uh, environment is. You know, what does the future look like? And those of us who do not buy into the mainstream's view of things, those of us who believe that um, uh, that there's no easy way out of this mess that we've gotten ourselves into uh, with fiat money, the fiat money system, when Nixon took us off the gold standard in 1971, the international gold standard, you can see that credit and debt has grown exponentially. It's grown faster and faster. And the problem is that we have so much debt it cannot be repaid. Well, how does this very unfortunate situation get resolved? There are those that believe that uh, it could be or will be or certain that it's going to be through the fires of hyperinflation. And uh, and then there are those that believe that we are going to, that the debt is so great that no matter how much money is printed or created or pumped into the banking system, there are those that believe that there is no way that this, uh, that the debt can be inflated away. And so we are going to be talking to two people on today's show um, that have opposite points of view, and both of these gentlemen have been with us before. I'm talking about Ian Gordon, who uh, believes in the Kondratiev uh, cycle. He believes that we are inevitably heading towards a major deflationary depression that will make the 1930s look like child's play. Uh, and then on the other side of the of this argument, uh, Larry Parks, Dr. Larry Parks, who is not an economist, but is certainly a very uh, very smart guy who's been uh, more in the uh, engineering and uh, mathematics field. He's very a very strong uh, um, reader of history, a very strong student of history. And Larry believes that we are inevitably heading towards uh, much higher inflation, and that the dollar will uh, the dollar's days will be numbered. I'm not sure that Ian would disagree with respect to the dollar's days being uh, the days of the dollar being numbered, but I think Ian definitely uh, will disagree and will have his own views on how this whole mess gets resolved. And for my part, I must admit that I've, I've tended to lean towards uh, Ian's point of view, but I, he has yet to convince me uh, um, that he is right completely. I just, I just don't know. I can see either event taking place, uh, and the, the, the worst part of it is that it's not going to be easy. I think that that's the bad news. Uh, is there any good news? Well, I think there could be some good news for people who, um, well, let's say less bad news for people who are well prepared, people who uh, can see that there are problems coming and are prepared for that eventuality should be in a better position uh, to uh, to protect themselves and their family uh, as we uh, as as we go forward uh, through this difficult time frame. And uh, and one of the of course strategies that we have employed in on this show I do in my newsletter uh, those of us who have an Austrian school uh, background and, and uh, thought process believe that you need to own what the market has always deemed as money as a store of value and that's gold and uh, perhaps silver as well uh, and there's different forms of course of owning gold and silver and I think you should have a diverse uh, uh, holding of gold and silver. I think you should own the shares. I think you should own the bullion as well. In different places, in different forms, you can own the bullion uh, and you can own the shares. And then the question is, where do we find and what kind of shares should we buy? What is the best place? Uh, where, where do you get the most bang for your buck in the gold mining uh, sector if that's where you want to invest? Uh, and my strongly held view is that the uh, uh, the project generator model or the streaming model uh, are the best places, the best ways for investors who don't have the time and the inclination to study individual companies 
Uh, and even those that, are, that do have that inclination and that interest, I still think uh, that the project generator model or the, uh, the royalty models uh, like the streaming model, uh, they're the best ones, the best, uh, probably the least risk risky ways to play a very risky industry, the gold mining industry. Well, coming up next, we do have to go to break right now, but coming up next, I'm going to have Efren Kazemi. He is the um, CFO, the, the Chief Financial Officer of Sandstorm Gold, and we're going to talk to him about Sandstorm, which is the premier streaming uh, model gold mining company in the market today. So we're going to uh, go to break, and when we come back, we'll be right back with Mr. Kazemi. Don't go away. Be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Arrowway Energy is an oil-focused Canadian-based production and exploration company operating in the Peace River Arch region of northern Alberta, Canada, with a land base of over 28,000 hectares, surrounded by major oil and gas producers such as Birchcliff Energy and Shell Canada. Arroway is currently producing 650 BOE per day, 90% oil. Arroway is debt-free, cash flow positive, and funded through its 2012 drill program. Arroway is listed on the OTCQX under the symbol ARWJF and on the TSX Venture under the symbol ARW. Attention mining investors. Brazil Resources Incorporated trading as BRIZF on the OTC and BRI on the TSXV is exploring and developing five gold projects in Brazil surrounded by expanding gold mines and deposits. It's acquiring a nearly 700,000 ounce gold resource. BRI has top geologists earlier involved in discovering 10 million ounces of gold in Brazil led by recognized mining executive Amir Adnani, chairman. Check out Brazil Resources or call 1-855-630-1001. That's 1-855-630-1001. Are you feeling slammed and suckered in today's stock market? If so, then you need to tune in to Profitable Investing with Jordan Kimmel. Every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, Jordan Kimmel will train you in what you can do to beat up the big boys on Wall Street, as well as share his secrets to success so that you can buy and sell like a profit-pumping pro. Grab the bull market by the horns and listen to Profitable Investing with Jordan Kimmel. Every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the bottom line of business talk, Voice America Business. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Back to turning hard times into good times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me uh, today uh, the CFO of Sandstorm Gold. Uh, This is a company that... uh, uh, that I was fortunate enough to pick up in the early days of its existence, soon after it uh, went public, uh, thanks to uh, my good friend Chris DeGroote up in Vancouver. Uh, he uh, alerted me to this company and its, uh, its, uh, its creation. So we picked it up in the newsletter at $0.36. Cents. That was before the stock was rolled back, as it was just recently when it went on to the New York Stock Exchange on a one-for-five basis so our initial cost was something like a dollar 80 per share and recently uh well earlier today in fact i saw that sandstorm uh was selling at uh about $13.70 or so on the new york stock exchange so it's been a, a big winner for us we've done very well and at the start of this year uh realizing that this was a company that was on a real growth path i increased uh, i i called it my top pick for 2012, and at that time it was selling at $5.90. So we've had another nice big run this year, uh, so far this year. And uh, so what we really want to do, uh, as we talked to Irfan um, uh, Kazemi, is to find out uh, what the growth prospects are 
uh, for this company. And so uh, we have with us Irfan uh, Gazemi. He is a former senior manager uh, with Price Waterhouse uh, Coopers, uh, and uh, he is now the CFO. Uh, of Sandstorm Gold. Welcome, welcome, Irfan, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Great. Well, thank you for having me, Jay. Really good to have you uh, with us. We, um, uh, your Sandstorm story, of course, has been gaining a lot of traction recently. Uh, uh, I know your your CEO was on uh, with uh, Mr. Kramer the other day, uh, and the stock has uh, has risen very dramatically. But underneath it, you have, of course, a reason for the stock to rise. It's not just because you're getting uh, the recognition that I think you're due, but you do have a fair amount of growth. Um, I like to say internal or organic growth. It's coming from the companies that uh, that you've invested in. For the sake of those that may not be familiar with uh, Sandstorm, uh, talk to our listeners about your model. Um, what is a what is a typical structure, and how do you how do you get involved in a gold mining project? Yeah, it's, uh, absolutely. So we do something that uh, we call gold streaming, and uh, what I mean by that is we go out and we give upfront payments to companies. So in return, what we get is a contract, and that contract allows us to purchase a certain percentage of the mine's production for the entire life of the mine, however long that mine may go on. So, for example, we may get a contract that says Sandstorm pays $50 million on day one, and we get to buy 20 or 25% of the gold produced from that mine at a fixed price. Now, that fixed price is negotiated on day one. So... If it's $400 per ounce, which is the average cash cost, no matter how high the cash costs go up the mine or how high the gold price goes for the entire life of the mine, whether that's 10 or, or 40 years, we're always buying one ounce of gold at $400. Is there any provision ever in your uh, contracts when you sign on with one of these companies that there could be a cost provision so that if the cost rise dramatically that there might be some increase in the price you have to pay for your ounces? No, on the on the gold side, it's a fixed cost, and that's something that we're pretty passionate about, given what's happening in the gold space, the uh, rising costs from both, I think, in a real inflation perspective and a real cost uh, perspective. So that's a predictable number that we like to know. So if you look at spot prices today, $400 an ounce, we're making close to 1300 or $1,200 an ounce in free cash flow on each ounce of gold. And so uh, without... Without any variation, that's basically the way you structure your gold, uh, your gold uh, deals. Is that you have a fixed cost? Is that fixed cost usually based on uh, on the cost of production, based on the feasibility study at the time of uh, that the project goes forward, or, or how is that determined? That's right. When we uh, negotiate with uh, our partners on these contracts, we look at. What are the ongoing costs once they hit those full feasibility targets? How much does it cost to get an ounce of gold out of the ground? And as I'm sure your listeners know, you know, costs have increased significantly from what they were a number of years ago. And so what we're always on the lookout uh, and when our pipeline and some of the things that we look for really relate to is this going to be a low-cost producer and mm-hmm. how sustainable is the project? So if you look at a project uh, that we may have looked at maybe six years ago, $1,000 an ounce or, or whatever the, the gold price was at the time, you could get the exact same project that may have been profitable that period of time. When you look at it today at $1,600, $1,700 per ounce, that same project isn't necessarily as profitable just because of the rising costs. Right. Oh, I absolutely agree with that. In fact, uh, I would make the argument that a, a very rapid inflationary environment is not necessarily the best environment to be a miner to be a miner in. In fact, so this is one of the beauties, though, of your project, of your of your model. I think, uh, and your business model is that you're locking in a cost because if we're in an inflationary period of time, and that's one of the main topics of today's show, is whether we're heading towards an inflationary uh, resolution to the problems that we have or a deflationary one. And I, I believe that the deflationary environment has proven over history to be a better environment for uh, for gold mining uh, than uh, than these hyperinflationary events. But in any event, point well taken. And this is an advantage, I think, that your company has over over the general uh, gold mining companies because their costs are probably not going to stay at, say, $400 an ounce. 
No, I think what you're seeing, is, especially in the mining industry, is you get two components. One is as you get more quantitative easing, um, this infinite quantitative easing release that's been announced. So you potentially have that inflation play that comes into, into play, but you also have the real costs increasing. So if you look at mines in some of the developing countries, they have not only the inflationary uh, adjustment that they're going to have to deal with because um, a lot of their costs are denominated in U.S. dollars, but also the real costs of labor, et cetera, are increasing as well. So, there's a, it's, you know, mining is a tough business, and that's one of the challenges a lot of mining companies come across. But with our model is we minimize those downside risks. So our costs on day one, regardless of what those operating expenditures are or sustaining capital costs are, are always fixed on day one when we negotiate the contract. How many uh, projects? Um, how many projects are you involved with now, and how many of those are in production? So we have uh, eight streams and three royalties. Of those eight streams, five of them are cash flowing currently. Mm-hmm. And so when you look at uh, you know the ounces we've we've gone uh, so far this year, it's just ramping up. So you could say in you know the next couple of years, based on our um, you know the, the publicly available information, you get close to you know fifty to sixty thousand equivalent ounces of gold by 2015. And when you look at the price of an ounce of gold today versus our average cost cost of $400, you're looking at $1,200 in free cash flow, which when you multiply that, you're above $80 million in, in free cash flow. So that's just on our existing pipelines, but on our existing assets. But our pipeline, just given the environment we're in, is very full. So we look at, uh, you know, I'd say you know, multiple projects, well over 150, 200 projects a year. And by the time we actually do the due diligence and actually select those projects, we're really looking for, are they top management? Do they have good experience? Are they a low-cost producer? Do we see a lot of exploration upside? And I'd say our pipeline has been more full than it ever has been. Yeah, and you can, uh, with respect to the exploration upside, I think this is one of the things that's impressed me about Sandstorm is that I know that is a key, uh, and there is at least one of the existing companies that I know of, uh, that, uh, in Brazil that has already started to increase or is planning to increase its annual production. So you'll get to X percentage of that production at that cost, at that basic cost, uh, for the life of the mine, right? So a lot of your, not only the existing projects that you're that are cash flowing, but a lot of those will cash flow with more ounces in the future. Is that right? That's right. So when we initially enter in a contract, um, we we pay for, let's say, five years of mine life, just an example. But if we've done our due diligence correctly and and our streams have proven that we, we tend to do that and that we're very thorough and we see the exploration upside, you see that the mine life doubles, and you see the cases where there's underground uh, exploration opportunities. And so, for example, Luna was one of the first deals that we did, and let's say it had a, about a million ounces in resources. And earlier this year, they came out with an update, and those uh, resources more than doubled. And so we're entitled to that increase of that, uh, that, uh, the resources. So if we buy 17% of the gold of production on day one from those original ounces, we also still get 17% of the exploration or increase in ounces. Where, uh, tell our listeners where your projects, uh, the ones that you're involved with, where are they located? I know you're in Brazil. Uh, you're in Canada. Where else? So we have projects in uh, North America, so Canada and the States, Brazil and Mexico. So we tend to look at these uh, projects in more of a portfolio perspective, and so we we do look for politically stable jurisdictions. But as we continue to grow, we definitely will be looking outside of uh, the North Americas and uh, uh, or Americas and looking at other parts of you know uh, whether it's Australia or Africa or Asia. But never will we enter into stream that will be so significant that the risk added to the portfolio will have a I guess a negative impact on our uh, potential risk. Could, could you give our listeners uh, a sense of what um, sort of what your average purchase price has been for gold and how much gold you've been able to purchase so far this year? I don't know if you have those numbers available or if you know just in general, more or less. Yeah, no, we've uh, our average cash cost is about four hundred dollars an ounce, mm-hmm. and uh, we had projected uh, about uh, the previously announced guidance about thirty thousand ounces uh, this year in uh, gold production, mm-hmm. which uh, we'll be uh, providing more clarity on when we release our uh, quarterly results. 
And then uh, we've uh, continued to provide, uh, I guess, projections that uh, when you look at gold equivalent ounces, those numbers definitely increase over the next uh, year and a half, two years. Yeah, you're mentioning gold equivalent ounces uh, because you have recently tapped into or bought into a project, uh, I think it's Colossus Minerals uh, project in uh, in Brazil, uh, Sarah Palata uh, project, I think it's called, and there there's some... Uh, Platinum production isn't there, and you're able to buy that at 235 percent of the platinum production at 200 dollars an ounce. Is that right? That's right. We uh, did a gold uh, stream there and uh, a platinum one as well. So we got one and a half percent of the gold at 400 dollars an ounce, and 35 percent of the platinum at 200 dollars an ounce. Again, those uh, those prices are fixed. Is there are there some have there been some uh, public statements with respect to how much platinum and gold is uh, projected to be produced from this project? Well, they, they don't. Uh, <clears throat> the way the Serpalata mine is, it's, it's I'm not sure how familiar you are with it, but it used to back in the 80s host the largest ever gold rush in Latin America, and I think it had uh, you know somewhere between 80,000 miners producing two million ounces of gold plus platinum and palladium from just a, a hand dug open pit. But uh, certainly, um, we believe in the growth potential of it, and because they don't have a resource out there, I, I don't want to get into the exact specifics sure. of, uh, of, uh, of the production. Sure. Okay. Well, it's something, obviously, that uh, as that information becomes public, you'll, you'll be making it available on your website. And tell our listeners, your website is, is it gold? Uh, it is uh, sandstormgold.com, I suppose? Correct. And there is some excellent uh, information there, folks. Uh, if you want to, we, we couldn't begin to cover all the information that you need uh, to start realizing how how good this company is. I believe, and I, I would uh, really recommend to our listeners that they go to uh, sandstormgold.com. There is, um, I would say, there is a presentation, an investor presentation there that's excellent. We'll give you a good overview of the kind of projections the company's making in terms of its gold production and uh, profitability going forward. Uh, of course, subject to gold prices, it's always uh, part of the issue of we, uh, you know, where gold is going to go. The one thing about it is that Sandstorm gets to buy it at a fixed cost, and that's what one of the things along with the. Uh, you know, sustaining capital that you don't have to keep plowing back into the project that I think really makes uh, makes your company stand out. I, I, is there anything else you'd like to add? We are basically out of time. Is there anything else you'd like to tell our listeners uh, before we uh, uh, before we adjourn today? No, I, I think that that covers it all. And I would say that uh, we've also created a sister company called Sandstorm Metals and Energy, which mm-hmm. essentially takes the the uh, model that we have in Sandstorm Gold, but uh, I guess applies it to uh, base metals and energy as well. Yeah, Irfan, I, I thank you for bringing that up. I, as a matter of fact, have thought, you know, I have a few things that are not gold in my own newsletter, and I've, you know, I've had the thought recently, why don't I just get rid of those handful of companies and just buy your uh, and buy your uh, your streaming model for the? I think it's energy as well as base metals, isn't it? That's correct. Yeah, a very interesting model as well. Well, thank you very much, Irfan, for being with us. And, uh, folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back with Ian Gordon and Dr. Larry Parks, and we're going to talk about one of the most, I think, one of the most essential discussions from an investor's point of view that you have to consider these days, and that is how is this this real mess that we've gotten ourselves into, this this uh, indebtedness that we have ourselves in the, in the global economy, how are things going to be straightened out? Are we going to have to go through the fires of a hyperinflation? Or will Ian Gordon's view of a deflationary depression be the way that uh, we, uh, we ease out of this? Well, I don't know if ease is the right word. How are we going to get out of this mess is the question. So don't go away. We're going to be right back uh, with uh, Ian Gordon and Dr. Larry Parks. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Ladies and gentlemen, the reality is that exploration for mineral deposits is risky business, though the rewards for shareholders can be enormous. At Millrock Resources, we don't believe in risking your investment on a treasure hunt. We believe in leveraging shareholder capital to generate projects and partnering with mining giants such as Kinross, Ballet, Inmet, and Tech to fund our exploration in the mining-friendly states of Alaska and Arizona. By utilizing this business model, Millrock Resources increases the potential of finding economic gold and copper deposits and maximizing shareholder wealth. For more information, please visit us at www.millrockresources.com or find us on the TSX Venture under MRO.
Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to an underlying problem. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theories to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to quadruple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights call 718-457-1426 or visit miningstocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters voice america business network the bottom line in business listening to turning hard times into good times with your host jay taylor if you have a question or comment about today's show jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790 that's 1-866-472-5790 you can also send an email to questions taylor at gmail.com that's questions the number four taylor at gmail.com now back to our program Welcome back to Training Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me two good friends of mine, Ian Gordon uh, and Dr. Larry Parks. Ian Gordon, both of these gentlemen have been on this show before, so I'm not going to uh, spend time reading their uh, their bios. You can go to our website at Voice America uh, and, uh, and read their bios. Uh, Larry Parks, though, did ask me to mention that he is not an economist. His strength has been most in, mostly in science and engineering, although he is also uh, been a money manager and he's been involved in a host of other uh, activities that are at least partly related, very much related I would say in some ways to what we're going to talk about today and what we want to talk about is a is is the topic that I've that I think that I am most uh, perplexed by. Uh, it's an issue that I think is most important to investors and that is how do we get out of this horrible economic mess? that fiat money has gotten us into, the notion that we can have something for nothing, the Keynesian economic model that suggests that all you have to do is stimulate uh, the demand side of the economy, all you have to do is just put money in the people's hands, and you can print that money, it doesn't matter, uh, you can just have a perpetual party. And I know that both of our guests disagree with that philosophy. I, I, I think I'm safe in saying that, and, and they're certainly welcome to, uh, to, to let me know otherwise. But I know both Ian and Larry Parks uh, believe in sound money. They both believe in free market, Austrian economics. Uh, and so they are both appalled by the mess that we've gotten into since, especially since 1971 when Nixon took the international, uh, closed the international gold window, and we started to have, uh, I would say, a permissive monetary policy in which people have been promised uh, they can have the good life without working for it. They can have uh, today uh, without without saving, without working. So I want to welcome both Ian and Larry to this show. Welcome, both of you. Well, Ian and Larry. You, thank you very much. Happy to be here. Good to have both of you here. Um, we, I should, if I haven't said it in my introductory remarks, uh, Larry, Dr. Larry Parks uh, believes uh, that we are going to be facing some very serious inflationary problems in the future. And Ian Gordon, on the other hand, believes that we're going to be facing some very serious deflationary depression uh, periods of time ahead of us in the economy. And, uh, you know, I think a case can be made for both sides, which is why I have them both both here today. And um, But I want to start out by asking perhaps uh, if we can define, I'd like both of you to define what do you mean by uh Inflation, uh, Larry. Perhaps you want to give us the definition of what inflation is, because if we don't agree on that, then the rest of the time will be wasted. Perhaps. Yep. Th- thanks for defining terms, Jay. That's something in science and engineering we do all the time. So we're talking about inflation and deflation. We're talking 
for me, we're talking about the monetary aspects. You could have price decreases, for example, for many other reasons, uh, uh, technological improvements, uh, dishonesty, theft, uh, selling goods produced by slave labor from foreign countries, uh, political interference in the markets, say with housing policy, for example. Um, but what we're really talking about here with inflation, uh, we're talking about the loss of the purchasing power of the money due to monetary considerations only, not due to, say, tech, uh, 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 shortages caused by natural causes or whatnot. Um, so really we're talking about, uh, I mean, the essence of this conversation is there anything that's going to increase the purchasing power of our money, or is the purchasing power of our money going to go away? Mm-hmm. For sure. Uh, so I know that standard Austrian definition, Larry, has to do with uh, you know simply the, a growth in the money supply. Are you in agreement with that? Is with that? We really can't define money anymore since it's uh-huh. all it, it, it's now become an amorphous concept. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Sure. What we used to call money was gold and silver, right? Or a thing. Uh-huh. Today it's not a thing. Today. If people are telling you it's information, or it's a tool, or it's a barometer, you know. Uh, so the, the concept of how to measure money now has become difficult since it has no link to reality. Mm-hmm. And the guy who really put his finger on this the best was perhaps the most brilliant, some people suggest the second most brilliant person who ever lived, and that was Isaac Newton. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Newton, uh, when he became warden of the mint, I guess it was around 1697, thereabouts. Um, people, uh, the uh, uh, Bank of England was issuing paper money that was redeemable on demand in gold. However, people were not redeeming. And why would they? What are you going to do with the gold yeah, once you get sure. it? And so it was suggested to Newton that why don't we just break the link to gold and just use the paper? Mm-hmm. And he answered not as an economist, not as a moralist. He answered as a scientist. And he said, if you break the link to gold... Uh, the money will no longer have a unit of uh, dimension. So everything in science has a unit of dimension, say weight, volume, speed, or whatever, Mm -hmm. uh, distance. And that's where we are today. So the money has no unit of dimension, and it's very difficult, and there's a lot of controversy as to what constitutes money. Yes. Yes, indeed. But your so your definition basically would have to do with purchasing power. You have inflation when your purchasing power decreases. You have deflation when your purchasing power increases. Right. That's right. But I have to uh, add the caveat that uh, an increase or a decrease in uh, an increase in purchasing power due to technological improvement. That's not what we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're talking about a decrease in purchasing power having to do with the debasement of whatever is being used as currency, and today we're using irredeemable paper tickets. Right, so we've had some uh, some deflation, arguably, in technology with uh, uh, information technology, for example, uh, but that's not what we're talking about. No, and as, as you know, since the Industrial Revolution, everything's gotten cheaper. Mm-hmm. That, def- uh, is that, that's not, that kind of deflation is not what we're talking about today, in my view. Okay, and so Ian, uh, with respect to your definition of inflation or deflation, I think in listening to Larry's, Jay, I have to... Jay, I'm just going to go by the traditional definition, which is essentially an, in- an increase in the money supply. Oh, you will? Okay, so there you and Larry uh, are, are different than I thought you might be. I thought the two of you might really agree uh, that uh, that it has to do with the purchasing power, but you, you'll go with a more standard Austrian measure of um, uh, of inflation that is the money supply but then ian uh, how do you define money i guess is is the issue that larry is uh, raising well I, think. I, I i think that's that's the the sort of the reason why i'm on the def- deflation side because in in most advanced countries today uh most of our money is effectively debt money and you know if you look uh for instance, in the United States, um, perhaps only four to five percent of, of the total money supply is paper currency, mm-hmm. and all the rest is in the form of credit money, whether it's bank deposits and other promises to pay, you know, government treasury bills or bonds, you know, bank promises in the forms of CDs, corporate debt. Um, what um, credit card debt, uh, mortgages, and so on. So most of our money today is in is 
is in the form of a debt, is a, a debt money system. So it's basically bookkeeping entries. It's basically um, electronic money, maybe, perhaps. Is that what you're talking about? Well, I think, I think no, it, 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 well, it's electronic, but I mean, you know, debt is debt, and that's really what our money is. I mean, if, um, if consumer debt, total consumer debt is $13 trillion, that's $13 trillion of money. Mm-hmm. You know, and total consumer debt in the U.S. is, is approximately $13 trillion. Mm-hmm. That's money. Okay, and and debt has to be repaid. It means that we've we've uh, consumed something today that needs to be repaid, uh, and we're going to have to repay it in the future. So your argument is that uh, this debt has grown so rapidly it cannot be repaid, and so therefore uh, we are in this deflationary environment, right, Ian? Well, you know as. You know, as money comes out of the system, as debt money is either repaid or basically uh, um, bankrupted or whatever, uh, that money is coming out of the system. Um, And so uh, that means that effectively, as that money starts to come out of the system, the money supply is actually depleting and not increasing. And so that decrease in the money supply effectively leads to deflation. I know that you know my work, Jay, which is based on the uh, the long wave cycle. Mm-hmm. And you know we've gone, you know, in that in that particular cycle, we're in the fourth cycle now, mm-hmm. and the cycle has been, you know, the, the has been very sort of accurate in in forecasting how things are going to evolve and. You know, we're now in the winter of the cycle, which is the period of the debt payback, when debt has to be washed out of the system. And that period in the cycle, whether it be now or following the 1929 peak or following the 1873 peak or the 1837 peak, that period is always a deflationary depression period. So money is being washed out of the economy, either through default or, or being paid back. And effectively what happens during this process is money actually starts to get hoarded. So it's taken out of the system too and sort of stuffed under mattresses or wherever because people come uh, very suspicious of, of, of the banks. And, mm-hmm. and well, I so, think, uh, you know, you know yeah, this ahead, is yeah. really what the long wave is all about is that the winter of the, of the, and the season is always the payback season when debt has to be washed out of the economy, and that is always deflationary and always results in a depression. Now, Ian, you believe that the system, whether we're on a gold standard or not, the system gets expanded, the credit or debt system, debt money system, gets expanded um, uh, up to the point where it cannot be expanded any further. Is that is that your belief? Yeah, because because eventually, I mean, as you, as if you look at the expansion of credit that's uh, been ongoing, that's I mean, if we look at the expansion of credit that's been ongoing, let's say uh, since 1980, which I would say was the beginning of the autumn of of the the present cycle, mm-hmm. it's it's been a massive increase in debt that's occurred since 1980. It's it's gone. In total U.S. debt from about five trillion to uh, you know about fifty-seven trillion, mm-hmm. and so this massive increase in debt, and even if you washed out the federal and state debt and just looked at uh, consumer and corporate debt, including, including financial debt, you've got forty trillion debt of debt in that uh, sphere. You know, so the consumers and the corporations and the financial institutions collectively owe about $40 trillion of debt. And that's now being, is coming out of the system. And where you really can see it in the United States is, is the mortgage debt. You know, when that debt bubble, when the housing bubble uh, collapsed, uh, mortgage debt started to be effectively taken out of the system, a lot through foreclosures and so on. So, uh, and that is deflationary because housing prices are coming down quite dramatically, so that's a, a massive deflation you're seeing in the in the value of housing, and uh, we're going to see it in all specters of the economy. 
Well, now, I think that Larry would not disagree with you uh, with respect to debt being deflationary in of itself. But then, of course, we do have a Federal Reserve chairman who is pumping trillions of, bound, uh, trillions of dollars into the system. Uh, and so I think, Ian, what you're saying and what you believe is that there, it doesn't matter how much money he pumps. Uh, Mr. Bernanke's not going to be able to overcome this overwhelming deflationary view. But I know, Larry, you don't see it that way, do you? Um, I think we have to go back to the definition. Ian, are you suggesting that the total book debt is all money? That comes. I think you get that number from the flow of funds report. Is that correct? Well, actually, Harry, I wrote a, a, a paper in October 2010, two years ago, uh, inflation or deflation, that is the question, where I came down uh, on side with, uh, on the, uh, deflation side, strongly on side, uh, on the side of deflation. Because, you know, when you actually look at what our monetary system is in the Western world, it is effectively debt money. Every dollar that's printed is effectively probably results in ten times that amount in debt. I, I hear what you're saying, so I just want to be clear on... on I'm, I'm talking about something else, but I just want to be clear about what you're talking about. So that number that you got, the 50-some-odd trillion, that's the number that's from the flow of funds report, shows the total book debt in the United States. Right. That's the okay. So total, if I loan total, money, uh, does that increase money, the money supply? What was the question, Larry? If I loan, I'm asking you a question now. Right. So that includes corporate debt, for example. So if, uh, if I loan you money, if I, Larry Parks, own uh, Ian, say, $10 million, does that increase the money supply in your view? No. But that would be part of a debt, wouldn't it? No, but the, but it doesn't increase the money supply per se. It, it's still, it's, it's a debt. It's owing, but the money supply hasn't effectively been increased. It, you know, so... Well, let me ask you again then. So when you... We're not the, really... The, the money supply, if you look at the total money supply... Uh, in the United States. What's your source of information? It really hasn't been, you know, dramatically increased. It is increasing at the moment. But if you go back and show really what happens when debt starts to get washed out of the system, so if we go back to the period of 2008 to 2010, you will see that the money supply actually dropped by almost 25% in that period. Yeah, I'm asking you a question first. Where did you get the fifty-some-odd trillion dollars worth of money uh, of debt? Where did that number come from? Sorry, you said there was fifty-some-odd trillion dollars worth of debt. That's been building in the yeah, U.S. I'm economy. What the, what's your source for that? Where did you get that number? But most appreciably, since 1980. Yeah, I what Larry wants to know is where uh, where did you get that source? I think is what he's asking. It's from the federal funds. Well, that's what I asked you, from the flow of funds report. Flow of funds, yeah. Right. So that, that's what I, I thought, thought where you got it. So that includes all debt, yes? Right. So if I loan you money, there's debt, right? Right. But that doesn't increase the money supply, right? No, oh, you've loaned me, but so you're, you, you've effectively taken your $10 million and given it to me. I understand so that. still only $10 million. Dollars. go into the flow of funds report? Hmm? If you, if, I, if you wish me a bond or something, if, you, if you're a corporation and you borrow from me, uh, doesn't that go into the flow of funds report? Isn't that part of corporate debt? You're yeah, a corporation. But, but I buy it. So effectively, you, you've given but, but you I'm know, a corporation to, yeah, that's issued a $10 million, million dollar bond. Really concerned about Someone here. has paid $10 million. It's, it's, the money hasn't, there's no increase in the money supply. $10 million goes for $10 million. Exactly One is one right. against but, the other. That's exactly right. However, if you're using the numbers from the flow of funds report, that would include that $10 million. So yeah, if you're a corporation and you borrow from me or from Jay $10 million, uh, that would uh, issue a bond, say, uh, that would be part of the uh, flow of funds report. So really what we're talking about, I mean, I don't, uh, I just want to come down to the definitions. Yes, okay? I understand. What we're really talking about in money supply is the money that's created out of nothing by the banking system not by individuals uh, or entities that have earned money lending to one another. Right, because you've taken your savings, Larry, and you've lent it right, to Ian. Right. The, the money supply has not increased in that right. process. That, that would not increase the money supply. We're just talking about money that's created out of nothing by the banking system. Right. Can we agree yeah. on that? The Federal Reserve and the banks. It's only the banks that can create money. 
Yeah, I think Ian agrees with that. I agree with that. Oh, good. So uh, right now, the way our system works, uh, according to Alan Greenspan, I have to use him as an authority, is that the Federal Reserve uh, has the right to create money uh, without limit. And they've already told us that they're prepared to do that. So why would you think you're ever going to have deflation? Because, Larry, the whole if effectively the debt bubble is collapsing, so money is coming out of the system. I mean, again, if I go back to the, my cycle work, you can see the same effect following the 29 peak. When the debt bubble started to collapse, 29, you had, for instance, in the United States, you had 10,000 banks failed between 29 and 33. Money was coming out of the system as there were increasing bankruptcies in the banking system, in the consumer, consumers, and in the corporate sector. So all that money was effectively be coming out of the system. And at that time, much as uh, Ben Bernanke and his predecessor, Alan Greenspan, were doing, at that time, the Federal Reserve was You're talking about trying mightily to... Let me increase the money supply. I'm just not clear on the time frame. You're talking about the 1930s? Yeah. Yeah. Well, in the 1930s, by statute, uh, the new money created had to be 40% backed by gold. And so they were limited to how much money they could create out of nothing. That limitation no longer exists. In fact, well, I'm not sure that that's the case, but I do know, and if, if you would allow me, I can give you a direct quote from Murray Rothbard's book, The Great Depression. No, I understand that. That's correct. Which will show you that the Federal Reserve, following the 29 crash, put increased the money supply in the U.S. banking system within one week by 10%. Yes, but what happened was, uh, and uh, this is at the time that uh, Franklin Roosevelt closed the banks, uh, the uh, New York Fed had sent a, a memo, which we have, and it said it was dangerously close to the statutory limit. So they could not create money with that limit. But today, that no, longer, that no longer is the case. And we see all over the world now, it's been official policy to uh, depreciate the currency. The jargon for this is called inflation targeting. And there is no limit to how much they can create. All right, they've I, already I, told we, us they're going to do that. Yeah, we have about three minutes before we have to go to a commercial break. But one of the questions I'd like to ask you, Larry, is... Uh, you know, and I hear what you're saying about there's no limit to the amount of money that can be created, but is it in fact created out of thin air? Because is there not also a debt that's created every time there is a, um, a, a dollar of, of money that's created? Is there not a double entry bookkeeping system so that we have both an asset and a liability on the books of our banking system? There is, but the asset is just a promise to pay. So when Donald Trump borrowed, I don't know, $300 million, what it is from Citibank, uh, it was just his promise to pay. But it's but it's suppose not like... He, suppose he can't deliver. But it's not quite like if you were just printing money and showering it over the landscape, over the, over the country, is it? That's, that's not to say how the money gets distributed, but how the money gets created, the double-entry bookkeeping has nothing to do with it. Mm-hmm. So so if the, uh, if the powers that be want more money in the system, they print up a bond and they sell it to the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve credits, the, credits their account. That's it. So if the uh, if the banking if the banks are lending money, uh, they most certainly want to get paid back in in some in some form of value, right? So one of the questions that I have um, well, is Jay, the motive Jay, for Jay, inflating. Jay. Mm-hmm. If the banks are lending money to Jay Taylor, maybe, but when the banks lend money to the government, uh, by definition, they will be paid back because the uh, the Federal Reserve can always create the money. Well, and, I so, guess... and so when Ian says. You know that um, uh, there's going to be defaults. There will be defaults by, say, uh, Orange County or the WIPS bonds or something like that. But there'll be no default by the U.S. government. The U.S. government will create the money. And as far as the paper money is concerned, any money that you have in the bank in the form of electronic blips, represented, say, by a mortgage that you sign, uh, that uh, they will print up whatever amount of cash they need, paper money, in order if you want to go and withdraw it. And all of the major banks today have limits on how much you can withdraw at one time uh, to give them time to print more money. 
Yeah. Well, we do have to go to a commercial break. When we come back, much more to talk to uh, Ian Gordon and, and Larry Parks about. So, uh, folks, don't go away. We're going to come right back. I mean, there's there's so much more. We we do have inflation. I think both Ian and Larry would agree that we have had uh, inflation. Prices have been rising generally, notwithstanding housing prices, uh, perhaps. Rents are on the rise now, though. So I want to come back. We're going to have a lot more to talk about. Where are we heading from here because it has all the difference in the world as to how we invest our money or how we should invest our money. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Larry Parks and Ian Gordon. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. Eurasian Minerals is a prospect generation exploration and royalty company focused on the discovery of gold and copper. The company currently has over 140 properties on four continents. Our joint venture partners have committed to spend over $15 million on Eurasian Minerals projects in 2012. The company maintains a tight share structure, a low cash burn rate, and holds $43 million in cash, creating value through discovery, growth, and royalties. Eurasian Minerals. Attention mining investors. Brazil Resources Incorporated trading as BRIZF on the OTC and BRI on the TSXV is exploring and developing five gold projects in Brazil surrounded by expanding gold mines and deposits. It's acquiring a nearly 700,000 ounce gold resource. BRI has top geologists earlier involved in discovering 10 million ounces of gold in Brazil led by recognized mining executive Admir Adnani, chairman. Check out Brazil Resources com or call 1-855-630-1001. That's 1-855-630-1001. 